Welcome, I'm Dr. Paul Smolin, also known as Doc Smo, and this is Portable Practical Pediatrics. Every once in a while, I like to give my listeners a glimpse of what is new in pediatric research that can translate into practical knowledge for parents. I'm not talking about new high-tech treatments for exotic diseases, but rather new information that most parents can use in their everyday parenting. So here goes with a conversation about four high-quality, peer-reviewed articles that I think you will find interesting. Stay engaged, stay informed, and of course, stay tuned. Now today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, the new way to digest books. For me, Audible has become my preferred method of exploring books, whether I'm listening, cutting the grass, or driving in the car. Expand your world today by subscribing to Audible. Just hit the link that accompanies this podcast to get started. Welcome to Portable Practical Pediatrics, a podcast for parents and families, a place dedicated to children and their well-being. Now, direct from Studio 1E in Charlotte, North Carolina, here's your host, Dr. Paul Smolin. Article number one. Every year, most parents are put in the position of deciding if their children should get a flu shot or not. Is that flu shot important for your kids? Is it worth all the hassle? effort and expense to arrange for them to get vaccinated? It's only the flu, right? Besides, many parents claim that flu shots can give the flu to their children. And worst of all, my little junior hates shots. Why do I have to deal with this every year, you may be asking? Which brings us to a recent excellent article by Dr. Mai Shang and others at the Center for Disease Control. Dr. Shang analyzed all the known pediatric deaths from influenza in the United States between the years 2010 up to 2016. He discovered that 70% of those children who died from flu had not been vaccinated and that one half of those deaths occurred in children who were perfectly healthy prior to having the influenza infection with no sign of asthma, diabetes, neurologic disorders, immune deficiencies, or any other underlying complicating factors. This is new information since previously we thought that most pediatric deaths from the flu were in children with pre-existing medical conditions. No, fully half of the deaths occurred in previously healthy children, most of whom were not immunized. What a shame. You, you can't do much to prevent your children from, heaven forbid, coming down with leukemia. But according to Dr. Shang, you can likely prevent them from having a severe, life-threatening case of influenza by vaccinating them. Dr. Shang's study also revealed that the most vulnerable children were those infants less than six months of age, too young to be vaccinated. Protecting these young children depends on vaccinating those around them and especially mom during pregnancy. Again, according to Dr. Shang, we are not doing too well at getting pregnant moms vaccinated with only 50% success rate in his sample. I want you to factor all this into your decision-making process, whether or not to get your children vaccinated this fall. So the take-home message, 
Is the flu vaccine perfect? No. Is the flu shot uh, some seasons not very protective? Yes. But in most seasons, it's about 70% protective. Now, if I knew that seven out of ten times that I visited Las Vegas, I would win money, I would go regularly. I'd be in. In the same way, you should plan on a seasonal flu shot for all your children since there is a very good chance it will protect them from a severe influenza infection. Article number two. There has been a lot of talk about the safety of cough and cold medicines in children. We have talked about it quite a few times in the past on Portable Practical Pediatrics. You can see links to it on my, on my blog. Yes, there have been deaths from children taking these medications, and the Center for Disease Control is strongly opposed to their use in children. But how dangerous are they really? To answer that question, Dr. Green from the Rocky Mountain Poison Control Center looked at 4,202 what he calls events where a child or their family sought treatment and evaluation for a specific symptom or symptoms that was related to taking cough and cold medicines. 67% of these events occurred when a child had an unsupervised ingestion and 13% of them were attributed to a dosing error. The most common symptoms involved a child getting sleepy, having a rapid heart rate, hallucinating, or being agitated. The chance of dying from one of these events was very low, with 20 deaths of the 4,202 events monitored. And here's the good news. Of those children who got the recommended therapeutic dose, there were no deaths. Hallelujah. So the take-home message. While I think experts are in agreement that cough and cold medications are not helpful or needed by most children and that they use should be discouraged if a parent does choose to use them and they are careful to use them at recommended doses at recommended ages, the chance of their child will die from their use is extremely low. That's not to say that they might not have an event, but having that event led, leading to death is extremely unlikely. Bottom line, though... Save your money, keep those medicines out of your house, and use natural remedies like honey in children over a year of age, warm, moist air, humidifiers, or even chocolate, all scientifically proven to reduce coughs in children. Yum! Article number three. The next article comes out of Kaiser Permanente, Portland, Oregon, entitled, Quote, cost-effectiveness of cognitive behavioral therapy for depressed youth declining antidepressants, end of quote. The authors compared the outcomes and cost of either treating a depressed teen with medications or what psychologists call cognitive behavioral therapy, in other words, talk therapy. For more on cognitive behavioral therapy, check out a few previous posts that I have done on the subject that are linked in the show notes. Anyway, the news is good. Not only did cognitive behavioral therapy work better than taking antidepressant drugs, but the cognitive behavioral therapy group was shown to have 26.8 more uh, depressive free days than drug group, and the cognitive behavioral therapy group's treatment costs almost $5,000 less when looked at over a two-year follow-up. 
I love this since I hate to see young people become dependent on chronic medications at a young age, especially antidepressants. Not only did cognitive behavioral therapy work better, but it also saved these families a pile of cash. So the take-home message, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, may be a little more difficult to arrange and take up more of a parent's time and energy to obtain, but it seems to be a better treatment for depression in teens and may save money at the same time. And finally, article number four. This is a study out of the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins entitled, quote, 10-year trends in bullying and related attitudes among fourth to 12th graders, end of quote. I am sure you are aware of the very public push to protect bullied children and the growing literature that lists bullying as a risk factor for both severe psychological harm and even suicide in its victims. Preventing bullying among children has become a front and center issue in our culture, and it looks like all that attention is having a beneficial effect. In this study, the authors collected data on 246,306 students and measured bullying over the past decade. Their findings reveal that even though bullying is still common, occurring in about 22% of children between 4th and 12th grades, it has decreased significantly over the past decade. The authors also conclude that children today feel that adults are more protective of them and schools have become safer from bullying. All great things and good to hear. Now, evidence shows that bullying cannot occur when responsible adults step in. Bullying occurs away from adults. Discovering it requires that you talk to your your children and ask about this issue, especially if they're struggling with anxiety or depression. And if it is occurring, step in and take action to protect your children. This is different than rescuing your child from bad grades or disagreements with friends. This is protecting your child from being repeatedly emotionally or physically intimidated and therefore harmed by another child. So the take-home message for this study, bullying is becoming less common, probably because of a lot of public attention to the issue, and a society that is less willing to accept the bullying behavior. Bullying is still a big problem for many children, however, and one that every parent needs to be on the lookout for and, most importantly, take action against if it is occurring. Enjoy learning about Child Health with PeteCast? Go ahead, subscribe to the content at my blog, www.docsmo.com, or on Apple Podcasts, that used to be called iTunes, or Google Podcasts, a new platform. This is Docsmo, helping parents take a little lurch into the world of pediatric research. Until next time. I would like to thank the following people for their assistance in the production of this podcast. Dr. David Jaffe the voice of the introduction. Robert Beezer, the composer-arranger of the intro music. Anne Gesner, my wonderful content editor. Benjamin Smolin and Jerome Moof, the talented musicians who produced this delightful theme music. Sarah Smolin and Nathaniel Horlick for their digital wizardry. 
and Wendy Smolin Esquire and Seth, the Rocketman Barrister Jaffe, for their inspirational guidance. Thanks, guys. By listening to this podcast, you agree to all of the terms and conditions found at the docsmo.com website. This docsmo.com podcast is informational only. Dr. Smolin does not diagnose, treat, or offer specific medical advice for your child. For specific medical advice regarding your child, consult his or her health care provider. Thank you.